Welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM. You can contact the show on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at iPropertyRadio or indeed email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Your host for today is myself, Carol Tallon, and I'm delighted to be joined by Gerard O'Toole, Director of Valuation and Professional Services at Tuhi O'Toole. So Gerard, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, I understand that uh, the weather is a little milder in the west of Ireland today. It's uh, yes, lovely to be with you, Carol. Thanks for the invite. Um, it is um, a little bit wild, but um, overnight was torrential. But uh, right now, it's 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 fine. But maybe at ten or eleven degrees. Yeah, you know, one one thing we're finding at the moment is that any little bit of sunshine is just really appreciated while the country remains in lockdown. Um, mm. And of course, like every other estate agency, Tuhi Tool is um, working under these restrictions at the moment. So, you know, perhaps we might just start by by finding out, you know, how have the last 11, 12 months been on um, your team and the local marketplace there? Okay, um, I suppose speaking personally, um, and I think probably speak for most estate agents, indeed anyone in business, the last year has been immensely challenging. Um, the whole pandemic has changed our business utterly. And of course, we're living through something that none of us ever anticipated and uh, hopefully we'll never see again. Um, in terms of how we've operated, um, it, it has been largely uh, remotely um, with um, um, uh, some people in the office as well. Obviously, at the moment, um, it's it's largely remotely. Um, the market overall in the last 12 months has been actually very robust and much to our surprise. I think at this time last year when the pandemic um, commenced, we would have largely written off the market for the year and thought this is you know, this was going to be horrendous. But um, buyers actually um, seem to have a lot of time in their hands. They're at home, and um, they maybe reevaluated the wisdom of living in urban centres, be that Dublin, Belfast, London, or elsewhere. And we've had inquiries um, globally. So people are motivated to move home, whether they've an emotional attachment to Ireland um, or to the west of Ireland or not. And we've seen really strong inquiries, um, and that resulted in quite a few sales last year. Obviously, at the moment, um, in level five lockdown, then um, inquiries have tailed off because supply simply isn't there. There's a lot of supply waiting to come into the market, but we're advising clients really to hold off until such time as we can actually undertake viewings. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack in that, Jared. So let's start by focusing in on the supply. So, I mean, first of all, in terms of let's take the, the new home supply has there been much um, essential construction works ongoing throughout the, the various restrictions, uh, restricted periods, or have construction activities there kind of fallen into the non-essential and therefore shut down category? For, for, for the most part, um, non-essential, that's sort of private speculative development. But obviously there are ongoing housing developments with various housing bodies and Mayor County Council that have managed to um, stay open. But the bulk of the private residential work has ceased. Okay, and in terms of secondhand, because this is something that we've kind of been touching base with estate agents um, up and down the country, and you know this is a little bit of a mixed bag. Um, most places at this point are recording record low stocks, and we've seen figures from anywhere to kind of thirty to forty-five percent reduction in secondhand stock levels. Um, so you know your your um, agency deals with quite a large catchment area um, far beyond Westport. So 
in, in terms of supply, secondhand properties, over the past 12 months, you know, what's the reaction to sellers when it comes to preparing their properties for the market? Are they confident about bringing their properties forward at this time? At this time, the last couple of months, we've advised clients really since uh, the end of quarter four. In fact, probably a little bit sooner in terms of selling property because obviously there's a huge seasonality to it. So we haven't seen new stock come onto the market until probably since the, the autumn selling season because you're in that gradual slowdown coming into Christmas. Um, we've seen over the course of the last two months, clients, many of them motivated to sell and keen to sell. I think they recognize that um, there's plenty of demand. Indeed, I would say there's pent up demand. And prices held firm. Indeed, I would say in some of the locations, um, the better properties um, actually went up in value last year. So I think vendors that are motivated to sell recognize there's a market there, um, but they're listening to advice and um, not putting their properties on the market because you're just not going to get that momentum. You're going to place it on the market, plenty of inquiries, but unfortunately we can't do viewings. And only for the, the, the most motivated of buyers um, and I did have one actually last week. So to somebody from New Zealand who's not seen the house and is willing to sign a contract, but the vast majority of people without seeing it, they're not going to um, to buy. So there's a degree of inactivity and I guess on our part, frustration. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you know, we, we spoke to IPAV um, Chief Pat David earlier this, this season about these restrictions and they really seem to shut the market down without actually calling calling it a, a shutdown. But it is interesting to see the, the infrequent transactions that are going through. So, for example, you know, you mentioned there that you had a buyer in us in uh, New Zealand. So mm. that was that somebody who would have been familiar with the area, if not yeah, the actual property? Precisely, yeah, precisely. But at the same time, are making a decision, a big financial commitment to the house um, that they have not seen and they've not had anybody look at. They're familiar with the location. Um, they would have big sort of emotional attachment to it and may well have had somebody sort of view it from the outside. But you know, the, the other side of the world and you know, different time zone, and um, they're, they're willing and uh, you know, and able to to commit to a purchase. So, um, but that's a one-off. This, this is you know, yeah. this is not a frequent occurrence. Yeah, well, it's interesting though. Actually, we were speaking to agents down in the southeast, and they reported very much the same. You know, because of the lack of stock, it means that people who know the area and have a good idea of value, um, that they are actually taking a chance on properties like this. I suppose one of the interesting things that we don't know yet will be what the level of fall through rate. You know, because people, you know, particularly, you know, it's different that in that particular example, um, the buyer was in. New Zealand, but for somebody who lives even, you know, 10 kilometers away, uh, they need to sale agree the property before they can gain access to the inside. So we don't know yet how many of those are likely to fall through. So this could be a very costly um, but not very effective exercise in keeping the market open. And, you know, again, it's too early to say, um, but I think it is interesting to see that the behavior for consumers has really moved on digitally. And, you know, I would like to think that we're not going to go backwards on that. You know, we're never going to go backwards. So we might want people to rely on technology to sale a greater property that they haven't walked into, unless, of course, they are outside the country or there are exceptional circumstances. Um, but it, it, it technology has definitely changed the operations for estate agencies. Totally agree. Um, 
that, that that's that's a given. Um, it's been evident over the last two to three years, and even you know the traditional high street estate agents worked in a very traditional way and largely bought and sold properties for clients in much the same way as they had done for years. That's changing, um, and I think we really have to embrace it. Um, all of us consume data now on, on, on digital platforms, be it meetings like this or communicating with clients or whatever, or shopping. I um, mean, basic essentials. So. Uh, property buying is likely to um, to go that way. Um, Tuhio Tool are well established, long established leaders um, in and around County Mayo. Where was your tech adoption prior to 2020? Well, uh, I had never done a, a Zoom call. I'd never done um, a Teams call. And I said, like everybody else, um, it was thrust upon us. Um, we've had a digital platform in, in, in having a website, and that is essentially our shop window to the um, to, to, to the low. Um, we're actually rebuilding that because of conscious, having built it about initially 10 years ago and then revised it five years later. It, it, it's not that tech friendly, um, i.e. the vast majority of people consuming data on a mobile phone and it's not compatible with that. So we're working through that and then on the back of that, implementing um, a big social media platform. So listen, you know, this is all something we're struggling with and grappling with and um, and, and getting used to. But um, as I said to my colleagues last week, it's something we have to embrace. The technology is changing. It, it's that the market is moving so quickly. You really have to embrace it and get on with it. Yeah, no, look, you're absolutely right. And in that respect, we're not going to go backwards in terms of technology. So we'll only be building on the momentum that that's been gained over this yeah. time. You know, one of the other things that you touched on um, just just a few moments ago, which I'm really interested in, you know, we're hearing anecdotally about this mass exodus uh, from the from the uh, main urban um, areas and, and the main cities, even regional cities to more yeah. rural locations. Yeah. Um, what What's your experience over the last number of months in terms of inquiries, uh, transactions going through and maybe people who just want to rent to, to get a feel for the local area? Yeah, I think that was something that we was very evident, possibly not as much in the last couple of months because we were in level five lockdown, but for most of last year, um, from really the beginning of the pandemic, from about um, uh, the beginning of quarter two, right throughout the, uh, the year, level of inquiries from people. Um, and, you know, as you said, technology has changed their lives, um, uh, the ability to work remotely um, and to do it successfully and for employers to embrace that for saying, you know, this works. And uh, whether it's a hybrid model, you know, where you're commuting two days a week or you're working full time in, in a rural location uh, or a small town. Um, so our experience is that there were strong inquiries and uh, particularly from large urban centres and particularly Dublin. Now, Westport, West Mayo, West of Ireland, it's an easy sell. It's got a really compelling lifestyle appeal. But I've no doubt there are colleagues from up and down the length and breadth of the country that are seeing people that are motivated to move out of large centres. And I guess there's, there's a combination of, of factors, you know, but ultimately it's about a better quality of life. Yeah, look, you're absolutely right. I think, you know, the West of Ireland in general, uh, Mayo in general, but I think Westport has a special place uh, for people. So you're right, they, you know, it, it it's a, there is a very compelling quality of life argument that would draw people over. So actually, do, um, are you seeing most of the inquiries, are they coming from people who have a connection or originally from the area? Or are you seeing many newcomers who have never lived in Mayo and have no connection to the area? Yeah, but that, that's always been the case. Uh, Westport is, you know, this is not the typical 
small west of Ireland town. It's very cosmopolitan. It's very open, maybe quite liberal and maybe quite different from a lot of other locations. So, it, it, you know, right through from the 50s and 60s, that's when the sort of the first people started to relocate and, and, and come here. Uh, many of them have stayed and, you know, they now call it home. So, um, it, it, you know, if you look to the demographic in terms of our typical buyers, um, it'd be very distinctly different from lots of other locations um, across the country, indeed Mayo. So lifestyle buyers, people retiring or buying a property with a view to retiring in a couple of years make up a, a fair a fair proportion of the overall sales. But certainly what was evident this year is probably people of a working age with families um, that many of them had emotional attachment to Westport or elsewhere in Mayo, but didn't necessarily want to move to their hometown, but were happy to, to come to Westport for maybe the, you know, the better quality of life or amenities or facilities, being on the water or whatever else. Yeah. And then look, that that makes absolute sense. And I mean, a lot of this is enabled by working from home, but I think, you know, maybe the remote work and working from home have become interchangeable when maybe they shouldn't be, you know, because there will be some people um, that, you know, maybe busy lives at home means that working from home isn't ideal, but also they don't want to be working, you know, in an office in Galway City or or Limerick City or Dublin or Cork. You know, has has Mayo um ha, has Mayo got a hub that would accommodate remote working for people like that? Yeah, there's there's a number of them in fact, and um, the Western Development Commission are um developing hubs right across the Western Seaboard from Donegal right down to Kerry. So the idea is that they have about 100 um, connected and fully interconnected um, hubs that would give an opportunity for people to um, have a single desk, rather like a serviced office or, you know, a fully fledged business that come in. So we've got a number of them. We've got one in Westport, uh, which was developed about four years ago, but it's it's oversubscribed. They could fill it twice over. And that was indeed pre-COVID. So the, the underlying demand there was really, really strong. There's uh, a big one attached to GMIT in Castlebar, but the local authority in Enterprise Ireland are seeking funding to develop another large one at the old Imperial Hotel. So this is a brilliant initiative. I happened to talk to the Western Development Commission just two weeks ago about a client's property. The vast majority of them are publicly owned and funded. I think of um, the 50 or 60 they have up to date um, open, there's only about four of them that are in private ownership. But it's, it's a fantastic initiative. And this is exactly the kind of enabling uh, infrastructure that will um, facilitate further movement of people, which you know feeds into the broader uh, uh, ability and hope that, that we have more diverse sort of uh, regional development. Yeah, no, absolutely. The the Western Development Commission are doing an outstanding job on that. And but like you say, their their job is made slightly easier that there is a compelling um, case for quality of life in the west of Ireland. And I think these hubs will will really just be further enablers, um, if not drivers of this. Uh, so again, an in, interesting time for the west of Ireland and indeed for all of rural Ireland. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. That was Jared O'Toole, Director of Valuation and Professional Services at Tuyo Tool. We need to check. A quick break now. Stay tuned. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I'm now joined by Declan Leonard, Group Head of Project Delivery at PM Group. Declan, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Carol. Uh, good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, delighted. Um, so, Declan, most people will be well familiar with PM Group. But just for for anybody who isn't, you might just give a little bit of background about PM Group. Sure. Thanks, Karen. Yeah, so PM Group are an international uh, 100% employee-owned 
project delivery specialists. Um, so our people um, include engineers, architects, project managers, and construction uh, SMEs. Um, so we've probably been in business, I think we're coming up in 48 years this year, and we've over uh, 3,000 people um, across our organization, that's across Europe, Asia, and the USA. And people probably be familiar with us, we primarily work on, uh, primarily work on um, large scale, complex projects. So what you might see in life sciences, including what's quite uh, vaccine facilities and hyperscale uh, data centers and so on. Our role has evolved uh, over the years, really from being designers and constructors to now one of where uh, digital project integration is becoming a, a key uh, service for providing. Very good. Actually, you might just explain that digital service integration. Yeah. So I suppose traditionally we said we would have a, um, we would be known for our expertise in project delivery. Um, and I suppose in, in more recent years, uh, what we've been looking to do is bring that traditional project delivery experience and as well as maybe layer that with um, technology. So using the best available technology, then uh, layer that on top of our sort of traditional expertise to provide a much more integrated uh, data-driven approach to project delivery. And I suppose we try and bring that to bear with all of our, our partners, our trade partners, the supply chain. So trying to integrate those people into the project in an organized controlled fashion. And, and that's a sort of a data-centric delivery. Okay. That, that sounds like quite um, uh, an unusual approach. Not, well, a, a change from the traditional approach um, taken. So you're bringing in layers of uh, a supply chain that maybe previously wouldn't have been engaged at this stage at traditional construction. So where is the expertise for this coming in? So I suppose the expertise is 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 has been there traditionally in how we work and how we deliver projects. But the opportunity, I think the opportunity is now wishes because of the maybe the abundant nature availability of technology and the affordability of that, we are able to provide a more automated sort of a digital integration than maybe would have been possible in the past. So there would have been a lot more manual uh, uh, manual inputs in terms of integrating supplier information uh, and communicating with suppliers and trade partners where that opportunity now to digitize and automate a lot of that and provide sort of, we call it, the relevant information in real time to everybody in the project so they can make more effectively, more informed decisions to help improve quality and speed and so on. Very good. There's a chicken and egg approach to some of this, you know, when you're dealing with um, uh, sophisticated clients in terms of quite complex projects, are do they tend to be driving this in terms of, of client demands or is it a case that your firm are pushing this? Um, I think there's a combination. Uh, it's a combination of both uh, push and pull, uh, Carol, I would say. I would say our, our clients are certainly, the value for this, maybe for the PM uh, clients is certainly around speed um, and quality. And I suppose speed, when I thought if you take the life science um, our clients talk about speed to patient. So that's about getting medicines to the market to patients as quickly as possible. Um, and so how, how we deliver that, I suppose, they, they leave some of that expertise to us. And as well, we're uh, pu- uh, pushing forward the proposal that by using better integration, better technology, we can deliver faster 
and the quality will be better. So they're more focused, I would say, on the outcomes maybe than exactly how we how we uh, how we organize to deliver. Yeah, that it's an interesting it's an interesting approach. And given the last twelve months have been so chaotic and uncertain in terms of the industry, however, I, I can see in terms of some of your projects, what proportion of your projects would have been considered essential and and have had works continuing over the past eleven and twelve months? Yeah, so I'm not exactly sure the exact percentage, but I. I would say we'd be certainly in, in uh, the significant proportion, if not well into the 90s, of, of the PM projects uh, kept progressing. So as I said, the majority of our two top sectors would be um, would be uh, life sciences and uh, mission critical facilities, both of which were deemed essential, uh, essential services. So work continued on all of those projects and sites um, uh, during, during the level five lockdown and even, you know, design will continue as normal because we've been uh, lucky enough to be able to uh, work remotely um, and that does work really uh, efficiently and effectively. Very good. Um, In Ireland at the moment, what kind of projects are you involved in that are essential, you know, that are still actually ongoing? So you may be familiar with, there's a project that's just about going to start up. So we've been working on it probably for the last two years. It's an MSD project, a biotech facility. Ocean Swords there in County Dublin. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a large-scale uh, biologics project uh, where they make a drugs, uh, drug substance, and that 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 project is in startup mode now. We're we're doing another project for the same client in Carlo, um, and it's a vaccine facility. Um, that project is is ongoing, and we're just uh, in commissioning maybe for another uh, bio, biotechnology facility with Johnson and Johnson in Cork. So they're they're probably they're large-scale you know, a few hundred million capital type projects. And then on a lot of those uh, life sciences sites and some of the data center sites, there's ongoing uh, smaller remedial refurbishment type projects. Okay. So, what level of... Oh, sorry, go ahead. So I suppose we, we have um, we have seen our uh, our, our headcount in, in Ireland grow um, during the... during since last March. So we've been continuously recruiting to try and... Uh, uh, support our clients in, in, in delivering their projects. So it's been it's been uh, quite a positive turn, uh, twelve months for for the PM group. That's that's great to hear. Um, but in terms of disruption of your normal workflows, you know, given that there was such a digital approach taken, was there a high level of disruption um, having to to um, transition to to adjust to the new safety protocols? Um. There certainly was. There was. It was obviously certainly a different environment, and construction took on a different look than it would appear before. So, but again, I think because uh, we're working quite a regulated, organised environments and technologies, uh, the, the the technology that's used in the manufacturing process for those clients and is quite high. They're they're quite expert in in technology themselves. So the adoption of technology. Um, and digital systems to help improve that ways of working and improve the, you know, the separation distances and identifying the number of people who could be in certain area of certain time. Uh, I suppose that that um, that was relatively uh, easily understood by our clients in those sectors. And so I think I think while there was this huge amount of planning and organisation, I think the acceptance of of how technology could could uh, quickly support that that was that was there already. 
Yeah, very good. And actually, that was one of our primary reasons for wanting to talk to you this week as well, because obviously um, PM Group were making headlines, not just in Ireland, but um, across Europe for introducing augmented reality AR onto your building sites. Um, So you might just talk to us a little bit about that. I mean, I'm interested in the technology side of it, something that we've spoken about a number of times on the show over the last number of years. But it's good to get some insights and practice. But I'm what I'm really interested in is what solution or, or what problem were you trying to solve on sites that led you down the direction of immersive technologies? Okay, Karen. So I suppose uh, it won't be any surprise to, to to anybody that the construction industry has um has maybe been slow to adopt uh, technologies uh, and and move. In terms of efficiency over the years, and there there would be probably it's probably readily acknowledged that there's there's a, there's a reasonable amount of waste in the construction process. Um, I suppose we found the, the solution we were probably trying to solve was the reduce the, the amount of that waste, so the amount of errors and rework in the field, um, depending on the sector you're involved in, can be quite substantial. And there's obviously a cost with that rework, and there's there's a time penalty with that. So we were looking for something that could help us be more, reduce that rework, reduce the time and be effectively safer in how we construct and faster, more efficient. So that, that's what we were trying to solve. That sounds that sounds like trying to solve all the problems at once. Is that, you know, because there's a number of different, you know, when you talk about waste, it's targeting in to so many areas that um, it doesn't feel like one problem you're solving. It actually feels like a number of problems that you're solving and, and it was and that's the beauty of the technology and that's why i suppose we we were really keen to to adopt it and deploy it um because i suppose imagine carl if you could take a technology that could show you in real time in a proactive way before you started something that there is no there is not going to be a rework issue there is not a clash there is not a design error or a construction error so having that real-time information available that, that allows you to make a huge amount of better decisions that, that, that solves an awful lot of other problems. Yeah, and I, I, I let, let's get into how the technology works on site because a number of the issues you've identified there uh, would be picked up through the use of BIM, you know, in terms of clash, uh, clash detection and things. So what difference does it make for people on site to have, um, to be able to experience the proposed work before it's delivered. What difference does that make as opposed to having reasonably the same data um, through BIM? What, so, what would so, be the difference? So, so Carol, I suppose the, the difference here and the, the real value and benefit is it allows you take that BIM, as you call it, that design BIM, and allows you take that onto the floor, onto the construction floor. Okay, so... It allows the, the, the supervisors, the constructors, the trade partners who are, who are physically doing the work in the field, look at that BIM information in real time in an augmented reality. So what has happened in the past is design is taken to a level in the BIM model. Okay, it may not be taken to a completion level. There are a number of various parties involved in, in, in completing out that design. So when that design gets to construction, okay, the setting out, the setting up, the organizing the work trades, all that, that that intensive amount of work that has to do. Sometimes stuff gets lost in translation. And so that setting out is, is not always as per the design intent. 
So this technology allows you on the spot checking that your design, your construction setup and set out is as per the design intent. So it's a bit like the, um, the, the, the carpenter analogy of, you know, measure twice and cut once. Yeah, no, absolutely. And actually, I, I think immersive technologies and particularly augmented reality, it's a super solution for people who don't have strong visualization skills. Um, so in terms of, of bringing the, the product from the page to life and as somebody who doesn't have have that uh, visualization skill, I actually find immersive technologies really powerful, you know, much more so than uh, the CGI images or, or plans that, that can fall flat. Um, but I'm aware that you're taught, you know, as with any tech adoption, you know, it's so dependent on the human element. So when you went to deploy this on sites, you know, what was the attitude of the teams that were going to be working with this technology? So I, I would say the, the attitude was, was really positive. And I suppose we've been part of the culture and BM has tried to, we've always tried to be early adapters of technology. So we were doing BIM and 3D design in the early 90s. So we've been using technology and we, we used to have a strategy in BM called uh, technology with purpose. So whenever we use technology, we want to have a, a sort of a defined purpose for why we're using it. I think when people understand the purpose and the value they start to engage a bit more. Um, but I think with this particular product, um, uh, Carol, the, the quality of the product was so good that I think people could always say, and because it was a visualization solution, people could see, for a better word, really, really quickly benefits. You know, so they could understand them because when we, when we describe what we were trying to do, it was easily understood because it was visual. And then when they use the technology, it was easily um they, 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 how do I say, it? they were able to adapt to it easier because, again, it was a visual solution. So, and I think that they, they, we obviously needed to retrain uh, the people because we have uh, multiple um, nationalities on that site. So, you have your typical language barriers, but again, because of the technology and the visualization, picture paints a thousand words. This was a technology that you didn't have to, you know, you didn't have to have perfect English for. Um, to train the rest of the, uh, the guys on site. And I suppose we were really supported by uh, XYZ, who were the, the product builders here, in terms of training and the utilization of, of that on site as well. Yeah, and the training is a really key one, but that's an interesting one about actually, I, I I hadn't considered that, that if you were employing other types of technologies, that there may be even an element of a language barrier on sites. And of course, that's a great point. Um, you know, one of the really interesting things when, when um, a company trials technology, you know, you hope the benefits are going to be as you expect they're going to be, but there are also some unintended consequences and they can be both positive and negative. So in terms of you deploying this solution on site, have there been any unintended consequences? Um, I'd say, Carol, it's, 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 it's early, early stages at the moment in terms of its deployment. Um, so, and I would say the initial feedback from both our client, our guys on site using the technology and the partnership with XYZ, it's all really positive. Um, so I would say, I don't think there's been any, there's certainly been no negative uh, unintended consequences. And I would suggest that maybe um, some of the positive ones, they're just starting to come to life. So the use of the technology, um, we have prescribed a number of use cases in terms of using the technology to check 
clashes to check setting out. But there are a lot more use cases, uh, use cases evolving now because as people are getting comfortable with it, they are thinking of their what what we need to do in the next phase of construction or the next phase of commissioning. So they are already there's a bit of um, I would say a, a, a herd mentality now about what this technology can do lots more. So it's I think maybe we didn't uh, expect it to be um, people to be so enthusiastic and to be maybe uh, challenging other opportunities in the future. So I think that that's a very positive uh, unintended consequence, yeah. maybe. Declan, that's a really interesting one because you're absolutely right. As people become more familiar with the technology, people who are already very familiar with how to do their job on site, then they see other use cases for it. So that will be a really interesting one. We might check in with you in another few months to see how that's going. I think it's really helpful for um, traditional construction firms who might be listening into this to hear about that because in some in some um, cases we hear that people are concerned that maybe the team will be resistant to using technology. So it's really good to hear about actually the teams, once they're fully trained, become very enthusiastic about technology to the point where they're looking at further cases as well. So that's that's another interesting one. So um, hopefully we'll be able to check in with you in a few months and see how that's going and see if any potential alternative use cases have come up on site. Because again, that would be something that could be shared with interest across across the sector. Um, and I'm sure uh, the, the augmented reality developers here would be interested in that. Sure, so, Caroline. Yeah, no, that's great. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was Declan Leonard, Group Head of Project Delivery at PM Group. We'll be back after a quick break. 93.9 Dublin South FM. And welcome back to Property Matters on Dublin South FM with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on Twitter at iPropertyRadio or indeed email the show at hello at iPropertyRadio.com. I'm now joined by John Fahey, Director at Transact.ie and Gavin Fitzgerald, Senior Associate Solicitor at Le Mans Real Estate. Um, so John and Gavin, you're both very welcome. Um, John, as Director and Founder at Transact.ie, Talk to us about what Transact.ie is and what it does. Yeah, so Transact is basically an online platform where all the stakeholders involved in property, being them buyers, sellers, developers, estate agents, solicitors, where they can all see a transaction go right through from the very start all the way through to the finish of it. We also include things like digital documents, digital signatories, which have obviously really, really uh, boomed in the last 12 months or so. So there's a demand for entirely digital conveyancing and banking process has really, really increased in the last 12 months or so. And that's was the, the adoption across the stakeholders has really, really increased as well in the last 12 months or so. Very good. When you say that where you're seeing the transaction, you know, straight away I'm thinking, you know, are, are you opening up to a more transparent service? But more importantly, rather than just seeing it, is there a way to speed up and ensure that some of the delays that are associated with conveyancing um, are overcome? Yeah, I suppose the, the key thing that we've got, uh, in, as well as a system, is we've really got a huge network of solicitors and estate agents who are behind this. So we've spent the last couple of years building up a network of about 400 solicitors right across the country in almost every uh, every county in the country. And what we're able to do right at the beginning of this is we'll prepare all of the legal documents up front, but I suppose the key difference from the old world is they're all put up online immediately. So everything is uploaded up online. 
And once the purchaser and a purchaser solicitor come in, all the documents are automatically available online. I think that's the big change that you get from today, where you have to wait for sales advice notices to go out. You have to wait for the post to go out. You have to wait for documents to be posted backwards and forwards between solicitors. And we know this is the point really where the consumer really gets irritated, right? Because documents are moving via posts, they're ringing an estate agent, they're ringing a solicitor, and nobody can tell effectively where the ball is. And this really drives the frustration right across the board in the process. And so with our system, the, the key message and feedback that we've got about the benefits is the speed is obviously a huge one if you can take out about half the speed, but the transparency element really, really comes through very, very strongly from the stakeholders. Knowing where they are, being able to see when a contract was uploaded, when a contract was signed, when a question was answered, that's a huge benefit to all stakeholders right across the board. They really, really want to get the, the transparency element to know where they are in a transaction. John, that's that's all hugely important because we know that conveyancing really does get blamed for a lot of the, the delays, particularly as other sectors of um, the transaction, the, the purchase and sales transaction has started to adopt different forms of technology. But where does this concept come from? Were you involved in conveyancing previously or were you just somebody frustrated by the process? I was the disgruntled customer. I myself had tried to buy property and I was actually living and working abroad at the time. And I couldn't believe it where they were saying, you have to come back and sign this or you have to post us that. And at one point, I think somebody tried to get me to fax something and you just couldn't believe it, that this was actually how it was done. Um, I think that was 2016 at that stage. And even without a technology background, I thought there must be a better way of doing this. Uh, There has to be. And I suppose that's when I began the process of really exploring what are the blockers or what is the real legal situation behind this. And that's kind of where I came across a couple of, a couple of law firms like Gavin's. And what I found is there's actually a high demand within the legal profession to digitize this process. There is a high demand within the legal profession to speed it up, to give transparency, to go paperless. All of those things are there within the legal profession. Certainly what I found is that there is only a small minority of solicitors who actually don't want to change, who don't want to go digital, and, and the vast majority do. And that's really where you know, we came across Le Mans and we began working with Gavin and the team there. And really, we've seen from working with them how it can be done, right? I think that kind of kickstarted the process as to how you can go digital, how solicitors can improve this process if we're all working on the one platform and I suppose working towards one goal. Yeah, you know, it, it makes absolute sense. And um, Gavin, I, um, solicitors certainly don't have a reputation for being very quick to embrace technology. And in some cases, I know myself from previous experience that that's quite unfair, you know, having worked across um, uh, across the project that introduced one of the first fixed price conveyancing services back Uh, I would say almost 20 years ago. And the only way that could be done was through the use of technology. So I I, I think that despite maybe some of the uh, tech laggards who are maybe giving your your industry a bit of a, a bad reputation in this, there have been some some really positive initiatives coming through um coming through from the legal side. Can you talk to us about your experience dealing with Transact? I'd love to. And firstly, Carl, thanks a mail for having John and I on. You're very kind for having us. And we won't forget your involvement all those years ago, Carol, in pushing through e-conveyancing and digitizing the conveyancing. I'm sorry for on behalf of our profession that it has taken this long. But yeah, no, absolutely. I suppose 
that John touched on it there, but there was a natural alliance between John and Leman um, in terms of he was already leading the space in terms of second-hand homes and um, already having, as he said, 400 solicitors signed up to it. And Leman being the first paperless law firm, I guess, and also the first firm to have its own technology department really made the, the stars align for, for John and I to log heads. And um, I suppose the biggest thing that I've seen, Carol, um, in terms of helping John along the, the process of bringing Transact, particularly to the new home space, and just want to be clear on that, that it really, we find the new home space lends itself mostly to the efficiency of the process. And we can touch on that later. But two of the biggest things that we've seen with John and to feed into the process, I suppose, number one was the incorporation of digital signatures. So that was a space that we were we were already quite big on. And um, I suppose I do have to give a shout out to my own wife who works for DocuSign. So I, I can't I have to declare that conflict of interest up front. But we always were big believers in digital signing. And um, even as recently as three weeks ago, Carol, client of mine, it was a commercial transaction, but and um, we completed the transaction. The, the deal was done, the contract was agreed, it just had to be signed. But our clients were in Italy and, and France. And, you know, in some ways, I'm very jealous of that document because it had a far better travel life than I have over the last year. But it took two and weeks. We know that contract. feeling. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it took two weeks for the contract to actually be signed and returned, which is madness. And John touched on that. So we have incorporated digital signatures into the contract signing stage, which alone has shaved weeks uh, or certainly days off the process. And then also, um, and John will touch on this later as well, in terms of the digital title aspect, Carol. And that, what, that's where the new homes really lends itself to, you know, let's say 100 homes. The title typically is all the underlying title of house one and house 100 is almost identical, save for the number on the door. So it lends itself to an efficient process, which we've now incorporated into Transact and really sped up the process that way. Yeah, yeah. I, I think on the new homes, that makes absolute sense. But say in terms of because I, I am aware that um, a lot of these delays happen with older properties and secondhand properties. So uh, one of the things we've seen through the Law Society is that um, over the past two years, there there has been a concerted effort to try organise the transaction a little bit better. So making sure that vendors are prepared, because again, solicitors get the brunt of this. But in some cases, you know, you have vendors who um, don't even who don't even request their title deeds be taken up from the bank until just um, until they're they're ready to be preparing contracts. So again, bringing unnecessary delays into into the mix. So over the past two years, I know the law society was quite progressive in um, having having these documents prepared, ensuring that um, these documents are prepared prior to a property going on the market, which is a positive thing. But does that does that taking that as a jumping off point? Does that de- then um, lead lead into a more efficient transaction? Does that kind of make it easier for more traditional law firms to embrace technology? Yeah, I think I think as Gavin mentioned, uh, where we've really seen the, the huge benefit of this is, I suppose, the process where that hatch happens naturally is the new homes. So. The last couple of months, we've really seen a lot of developers get on board with this on the new home side of things. And why it works so well on the new homes in, in particular is because at the beginning of a transaction, as you said, Carol, all that stuff is, is prepared up front already. And you don't have the problems in terms of getting title documents from banks, getting title documents rebuilt, getting title documents found again. All that stuff is effectively done right at the beginning. And it's a very clean start to the process. So you know uh, as a person trying to sell new bill of properties, that all of your legals and all of your documents are there. 
even before you put it onto the market, you've got all of your documents on our system. If I can just maybe talk about one of the developments in particular that we've done through various stages of lockdown and how it's worked is right at the beginning, we can upload all of the documentation. And as Gavin said, where it really lends itself to is if you've got 150 units, there's actually only one title document really to that. And you're, then you're adding up additional documents on top of that. Another element we've really introduced, which has really sped it up, is after, let's say, the first five or 10 transactions are done, the reality is virtually all of the inquiries and the questions that the solicitors are asking have already been answered. So we, after about 10 transactions, basically put up the answers to the questions before they were asked. So a purchaser solicitor now coming in, he gets a notification, he's getting his sales advice notice information, he's getting his contract, he's getting his building agreement, but he's actually getting the answers to his questions before he's even asked them, right? And they're all up front and they're all online. So that's taking a huge amount of time out of the process because we know today, and I think you touched on it, Carol, there was a lot of time up front where people couldn't find the documents you had a lot of time lost between correspondence being exchanged via post. That was always a big bugbearer of mine as to why they did that. And then I think Gavin touched on as well. And it's really in the last 12 months, while the technology has been around for quite a while, actually, the digital signatures, there's actually been legislation for 21 years for digital signatures. Really in the last 12 months, I think the shift that we've seen is that customers and then solicitors have gotten much more comfortable with digital signatures. That's been a big, big shift where they've really gotten comfortable and embraced it. And the amount of people now who will do things via Zoom and then sign things digitally has really increased. Whereas over a year ago when, when we were looking at this, that was that was one of the, the blocks uh, to people really taking this up is that that digital process, that digital signature, while people knew about it, there just wasn't the level of buy-in that there is now a year later. Yeah, and would yeah, it? Yeah. Sorry, just to jump in there, Carol, as well, just to, I'm conscious that obviously this is a property podcast. You're going to have listeners from all walks of life and also purchasers, solicitors, obviously tuning into this. And I think what's really important to just flag at the outset, this is why John and I have worked so closely from the outset and having a legal advisor like myself in the background, I feel has, has probably helped John a little bit and other competition out there hasn't had that input, is that like if you can use a smartphone, and I think we're all very used to using a smartphone at this stage now, you can use Transact. It's really, really simple to use. I want to get that across as well. And that is why he has Transact already have 400 solicitors signed up. The local authorities, in-house lawyers, and that will tell you enough, Carol, about how easy it is to use, have also signed up to it. I think that's really important. And then secondly is, obviously, when it comes to new homes and rebuilding Ireland, we're trying to get as many houses out there as quick as we can. And we need to make the process more efficient. So that was part of our job, was really sort of like Elon Musk when he looks at the car, was to strip out all the parts. And as you said, Carol, see which, which part of the transaction itself was inefficient. And in fairness, the builders are super tech using technology when it comes to modular housing, smart homes, and all of that, A-rated homes. The estate agent, like we saw on your podcast last week, and Sherry Fitzgerald were, were, were talking to you about how useful and how used the remote viewings are working. So every stage seems to be quite efficient until we got to the legal stage. And that's where we said, okay, look, this needs to be resolved and can be resolved. And it's very much not a case of we've reinvented the wheel. Far from it, we've just made it a quicker wheel. And to touch on one particular aspect of it, Carol, maybe just to give you an example, um, and John touched on it there, is that what we found was, and we'll use a, an estate with, with 100 homes, let's say, 
the, the questions that are raised for the first five are just duplicated for the other 95. And in fairness to a purchaser or solicitor who might be buying house number 50, they're, they're not familiar with the title. They haven't seen the title before. And we're conscious that there's a lot of law firms out there now on the purchase side who are quite competitive in their fees. Like we're seeing some purchasers doing this transaction for seven, eight, nine hundred quid. So what we've done is let's make their life easy. Like it's all about making people's life easier. It's not replacing jobs or replacing roles. It's making everyone's job easier. So what we do is it's almost like showing our homework, Carol. Any questions, and John touched on this, any pre-contract inquiries that come up in the initial stages, they're uploaded transparently onto a platform. So a purchaser solicitor on, say, sale number 12 can log in and say, okay, well, I was going to ask that question. I was going to ask that question. It's already answered for me. And they can comfortably certify the title to the bank and move on. That's that's a really interesting point because, you know, the, the liability really sits with the purchaser solicitor. So obviously... Uh, it's the seller solicitor, the developer, the new homes developer that's feeding all of this data in. So say, for example, if I was the purchaser solicitor and I read the answer to a question I have, uh, I, I read it. Um, but because it's relating to all of the properties as opposed to my client's one property, from a liability point of view, is that enough? Or do I need yeah. that specifically addressed in relation to my client's property? Yeah, I can sort of take that, John, as well. And it was, again, coming back from our feedback, Carol, from an early stage with John and the team. And so, Laman, I think you're familiar with Carol, had a quite innovative law firm. And our managing partner, John Hogan, is a visionary when it comes to property. And he, he won't like me saying that because he's super humble, but he is. And we had embraced this many years ago, uh, digital conveyancing and so on. And really the most important party to bring on the journey with us was the Law Society. You touched on that earlier, Carol. And at the end of the day, unless the Law Society gives their blessing, you're, you're, you're shooting against the wind, really. So this was one concept that came up in a feedback uh, conversation with the Law Society, and it's really important. And you're dead right. The purchaser solicitor, whilst they might only be charging 700, 800 euros, they're undertaking to whatever financial institution it is and their own clients that the title here is fine. So what we did was we incorporated, it's essentially a button, Carol, to use the non-technical term, whereby at the end of the transaction, those replies to pre-contract inquiries can be downloaded or printed, whatever the purchaser solicitor prefers, and it, it is warranted and signed and certified by Laman solicitors. That's built in there, or whoever the vendor solicitor may be, I just have to flag that. But absolutely, it would be unfair and, and technically um unethical really to, to expect a purchaser solicitor to just take our word for it. So no, that was something that we teamed up for the Law Society built in and the replies are certified by the man. Purchaser solicitor can print them off and keep it with their file at the end of the transaction. Very good. Thank you. Because that's, that's you know, it's really important to get clarity and things like that. Um, also, John, I think it was yourself that mentioned um, digital title. Can you explain that to us? <coughs> I, I'm sorry, I know we're running we're running kind of low on time, but um, just really so that we have a clearer understanding, um, what what constitutes digital title now? Yeah, so there's, there's a couple of things that maybe feed into that. And I think one of the things uh, you touched on at the very start is, you know, we're aware as well that there are a number of other technologies out there, particularly the larger US ones, which a lot of the big developers, a lot of the agents will be very familiar with. And one of the things, certainly when we were trialing or building up this, this product that became very clear to us is 
people don't really want more systems on top of what they've got. And that was a big thing that we worked on with Le Mans. So how our system really works uh, as a core principle is it actually integrates into the solicitor's system. So that, I think, was a huge learning we had from when we originally trialed it. And it's actually a major differentiator for us against us about some of the other platforms that are out there. So when a solicitor is going on and where the digital kind of title bit will come in is when they're drawing up the the information today, they'll be doing it in their own case management system, right? And remember, virtually all these documents start as digital documents. So they'll start in PDF or start in Word. And what have been happening is people have been starting them digitally, taking it online, and basically then printing it and then posting it out. So what we've really done is we've integrated into the case management systems, both on the solicitor and on the estate agent side. So the solicitor can simply get the title document from his computer, never print it, right? It's automatically uploaded from his case management system onto the Transact platform. And then it's there online. That's where it exists. It exists digitally. It hasn't been printed. It hasn't been posted. And the other side's solicitor can pull it automatically into their case management system. And they can then sign it digitally. So the whole thing is digital. It never exists in paper. And again, for a long, long time in law, it's never needed to exist in paper. It's just been a habit that's really been out there. And Carol, I'm very yeah. conscious of the timing, so I don't want to bore you with any of the legals, of course, but um, just to touch on that for any purchasers, solicitors who are listening to this, obviously the last and final document being the deed of transfer, actually transferring that portion of land into the purchaser themselves, that still needs to be signed under wetting. We're not just there yet when it comes to the law society, and if they're listening, and I hope they are, and I know they're, they're working actively getting there, the UK have already uh, provided that, but 99% of the transactions, say for that last step, is all done digitally. And you'd be amazed. And, and when people, when I talk to people about this who are not in the property industry, they think, Jesus, Gavin, that seems really simple. And it is. And um, it's just taken quite a while to get us here. Yeah, no, but look, that's absolutely understandable because, you know, a huge part of tech adoption is always about the human element. And with the human element, when we're asking people to change how they've done things, particularly when they're used to operating in such a highly regulated environment, there's always going to be this. It's not it goes far beyond culture change when you're talking about regulatory environments. It, you know, th- there are so many steps uh, to ensuring that things are being done right. And it's a protectionist uh, mechanism, which we can't which we can't but it is great to see this um, proceeding. Um, Gavin, off the top of your head, you know, have you any idea what time scale this is saving, say for a conveyancing solicitor? What, what kind of time are they saving? Yeah, we do. We actually have live details as it's going and we're improving it each time. So on average, the new home sale between uh, so, uh, contracts issuing and contracts being signed as it stands are between six to eight weeks. In the Using the Transact portal alone and nothing else, and three to four weeks. So essentially we're shaving 50% off as it stands, right? But John and I aren't stopping there. We have real goals and, and they're not overly ambitious and they're very realistic and it will involve just a slight tweak to incorporate some of the financial institutions in which we're doing. Um, and we believe, Carl, we will have that down to two weeks. Contracts um, issued to signing two weeks and there's genuinely no reason why that can't be achieved. Good. Yeah. John, uh, well done on well done on transact.ie. Um, so I, I think it's great. We want to see this progress. Like I said, at the moment, we see a lot of blame being put squarely on uh, conveyancing delays that perhaps aren't always uh, aren't always accurate of or fully representative of the situation in a transaction. So it's really important that we keep the tra- we keep the transparency 
and keep the costs down. Um, and in terms of improving the service, improving accuracy, that's what it's all about. That's why that's why we're advocating for technology in this. So thank you both for joining me here today. That was John Fahey, Director of Transact.ie and Gavin Fitzgerald, Senior Associate Solicitor at Le Mans Real Estate. That's it from us this week. Thank you for listening into Property Matters here on Dublin South FM. You can get in touch with the show on social media at iProperty Radio or indeed email hello at iPropertyRadio.com. Also, my thanks to Peter Rice on Sound and show producer Katie Tallon of Hear Me Roar Media. We're back at the same time next week from myself, Carol Tallon and all the team here. Stay safe.